0: All right, opening your eyes and then closing them out in the sun like this is a. Uh, was, you might think you're about to pass out. You just start seeing blue, um, but it's normal. Uh, hey, so one of my favorite ways that movies start is just like they just start with a conversation. I'm going to take a quick drink. They just start with a conversation. Uh, a lot of movies do this where all of a sudden you're just thrust in the middle of this movie and a conversation is happening between people and you don't know what's going on, but since you're there with people, you're like, oh no, I get it. Like I see, okay, yeah, all right. This is what's happening. I just love when movies start that way because it's almost like you're just thrust in the middle of this movie. It's almost easier to imagine what it's like to to be in this movie. Like Inception, it kind of starts this way. Different movies kind of start in these different ways. And, And here's the thing about today's text. I felt like I could give you an introduction to, t- to today's text and say, hey, this is where we're going to be at, this is what we're going to do, and this is how it's going to look like. But I felt like the opening conversation in the opening verses th- that we're in today actually intro-, intro us into today's passage the way like a movie would when you're just thrust into the middle of a conversation. So this is what we're going to do. We're just going to hop right into it. We're gonna, I'm going to give you this conversation shot by shot like it's a movie. And I want us to kind of imagine it almost like we're watching a movie. And, I, and, and at the end of this conversation, basically, we're going to see how it intros us for the day. Okay, so we're in John chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 19. Okay, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, John is one of the stories about Jesus's life, one of the recollections of Jesus's life. We're going to be at verse 19. Today, we're going to be talking about John the Baptist a lot, not to be confused with John the gospel writer, okay? I'm going to call John the Baptist John a lot. So just know I'm probably, I probably mean John the Baptist today. But let's get into the movie. No more explanations. Stop, Anthony. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay, let's stop. First shot. In the movie, you see a group of guys. they got long beards. They've got priestly robes. They're just showing up to the desert, where there's this hairy old dude who might have been munching on some locusts, just sitting there with camel hair clothes, and they walk up to him, and they say, "'Who are you?' This is how he answered. Verse 20, pan to John the Baptist's face. He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, "'I am not the Christ.'" Okay, this is a weird way to answer the question, who are you? I don't know when people say, hey, who are you? I go, Anthony, right? I say my name. I don't go, I am not Vince, right? Although sometimes I have to tell you guys that, which is kind of weird. We look pretty different. But uh, I don't say, I am not. Now listen, we, I'm going to give us a little help so we understand this movie scene a little, little bit better. It's all, The Christ, for those Jewish leaders, is, is this, this idea of a chosen one of an anointed one, of this person who's gonna come and he's gonna fix everything. So listen, people my age, we get it. We know the chosen one. We had our Anakin Skywalker. We've, we've had our Neo from the Matrix, but I wanna connect to the younger crowd so they can understand what John the Baptist is saying here. It's almost like John the Baptist is saying here, listen to me, younger crowd, I am not the avatar, okay? That's almost like five of you got that, okay? So let's keep going. So he says, I am not the Christ, verse 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Okay, so this is, the camera angles are going back and forth. There's just like one guy in the back of the crowd. Well, are you Elijah then? No. Another guy in the crowd. Well, then you got, you're probably a prophet, right? No, that's, that's not it. And, and you're just, you're feeling the tension of the scene. You're like, can you just give them a straight answer, John the Baptist? So this is what they say. Verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now remember, it's like we're watching a movie and now we're getting more of the conversation. Okay, these guys didn't just come on their own volition. They, they're a delegation. There's some bigger group behind the scenes that sent them to ask this guy in the desert, who are you? And they just go, we, we can't just go back and be like, he's all the, he's not all these things. We need a real answer. And then The next angle, the next verse, it's going to cut to John the Baptist's face. And this is the moment in the movie. We know whatever he says, the next thing is going to be like the title of the movie, right? Like John the Baptist, right? Whatever it is, okay? So, verse 20. Oh, I got confused because of the wind. All right, verse 23. This is how John the Baptist zoom in on his face. You see a little locust leg in his beard. He says, He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Title of the film, John the Baptist. Confusing conversations with him. Like this is, okay, so John says, they go, okay, who are you? Are you this guy? Are you that guy? And he just says no to it. And they said, so tell us who you are. And he references one of their prophets. He references one of their prophets, one of his prophets, one of our prophets. This prophet Isaiah is in our Old Testament, which was like their Bible. And he references Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, what you need to know about the book of Isaiah is Isaiah was this prophet proclaiming these things about God and how he works and how he works in the midst of Israel being in exile for their sins, for, for them choosing sin over God, but In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah takes a a, a bit of a turn. It begins to become poetic, and it begins to talk about all these ways that God himself is going to come to the people of Israel and restore everything, restore their relationship with him, restore them as a people, restore the world itself. And Isaiah 40 does this, and at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 Isaiah says this, which John the Baptist is quoting for us. It says this, A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Okay, what John the Baptist says about himself and his role in the world is what will help us understand where we're going today. John the Baptist says, Listen, this is what I do. I am preparing the way for the chosen one. I'm preparing the way for Christ. I'm preparing the way for the Lord. I'm the voice in the wilderness that's crying out and saying, Hey, flatten the mountains, fill in the holes. Let's make a highway so God can get from the desert to his people as quickly as possible. John the Baptist says, I'm the voice saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at how John the Baptist does that. We're going to look at how he prepares the way for the Lord and how he encourages these first century Jewish people to prepare the way for the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Lord himself who's going to come and restore all things like Isaiah chapter 40 says. And as we look at that, here's what I want us to do. I want us to just simply go, okay, if John the Baptist was doing these things in order to prepare Israel to see Jesus and have Jesus be revealed to to them as the Christ, as the Lord, could what he's doing help prepare us, help prepare us to see Jesus be revealed to us either now or as we go out through the rest of the gospel of John? Could the things that John the Baptist does help our hearts to see Jesus for who he is? Help us to have the Lord reveal to us in all his restorative work. That's I just want us to ask that question of ourselves. So there's three things we're gonna see John the Baptist do today in his text as he prepares the way of the Lord. The first thing he does is he has a baptism that he does out in this desert. we're going to talk about John's baptism and how that prepares the way. The second thing he does is he has a proclamation about Jesus. And we're going to see how that could potentially prepare us to see Jesus for who he is. And then John just has wonder and awe about Christ. And we're going to see how that potentially prepares us for the way Uh, for the Lord to be revealed to us. All right, let's go to John chapter 1, verses 24. It's a little drier out here. I'm thirstier outside preaching. Forgive me for, you have to hear my nasty gulps. All right, um, John chapter 1, verse 24. We're back into the movie. And we're going to look, oh, we're going to go through verse 28 and we're going to see how John's baptism prepares the way of the Lord. Verse 24 says this. Now, They had been sent from the Pharisees, everybody. There was all these kind of religious groups in the first century, uh, Judaism. and, And this is one of the groups, and there's a bunch of groups. I think there was a whole delegation. But now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, so here's what's going on. John the Baptist is saying all these things out in the desert. He's telling people to repent and turn back to God. And and he's baptizing people and he's talking about their faith. And he's becoming like this spiritual guru. He, like, like all the Jewish, a lot of the Jewish people were out there going out to the, to the river and, and getting baptized and listening to him. And he was even, even getting these disciples. And so this, this group of religious leaders comes up to John the Baptist and they're like, hey, you're a spiritual guru. Who are you? And he, he says, this is who I am. I'm this voice crying out in the wilderness. And they go, okay, so then what's with the baptism? What's the whole baptism thing? If you're not, and, and, and you have to know, when they're, when they're asking these questions, when they're asking these questions about Elijah and the Christ and, the, and a prophet, they're, they're saying, they're almost it's like they're saying, are you an end times figure? Are you, are you one of these end times figures that we've been waiting for? And what's funny is even Jesus refers to John as Elijah. So when, Eli- uh, uh, when John says, I'm not Elijah, either he didn't realize that he is this sort of Elijah figure in the Old Testament that was prophesied that would come back and kind of usher in God's restorative kingdom, or he, he wanted to flip their categories a little bit. But anyways, they, they go out and they, they ask this spiritual guru, hey, why do you do this thing then? Why are you baptizing if you're not one of these end times figures? Why are you doing it? Now, I, you expect John, the spiritual guru, to say, well, baptism helps with this. It's kind of the spiritual thing we do. Or, you, or, you know, I'm washing off all the sin. Or, 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 or some kind of answer that, but he goes, what he says is, is very interesting. He goes, listen, the reason I baptize is because there's somebody in our midst who's even way greater than me a way bigger deal than me, a bigger spiritual guru than I am, right? Listen, we don't, we have, in our society, we have too many spiritual gurus. There's like, like, there's probably about 800 people out in the desert claiming to be a spiritual guru right now, like in America. Uh, And so we don't really get the significance of this moment and how strange of an answer this would have been. So I'm going to help us. We're going to go back to the 90s. In the 90s, we, we all had sort of a spiritual guru, and I, I hate to admit it, but we all had a spiritual guru who came on our TVs at 3 p.m. on my channel 3 every, every day, every weekday, and her name was Oprah, okay? And so, listen, I'm not saying she should have been, but she was a spiritual guru for us in the 90s, and she would talk about God and all these different spiritual things. And now imagine if we were all flocking to Oprah in the 90s, which we kind of were, and then some spiritual leaders came to her and were, were like, well, why do you do all this? And Oprah was like, there's a greater one coming than me. It's gonna be, they're gonna be on TV all the time. They're gonna guide us into truth and all that. Like, that's not how Oprah would answer it. Oprah, we'd be like, Oprah, why do y'all do why do you do this? She'd be like, because here's a car. Like that's how she would answer the question. She's like, because I like to. Like, well, you know, like, and and so John the Baptist is giving a a really weird answer to this. I just want us to get into the story and get into understanding what's going on. So John the Baptism is out here baptizing, and he says, it's because there's somebody in our midst who I don't want you guys to miss. I want my baptism to point people to him so that when he reveals himself, we see him for who he is. So how does John's baptism prepare the way for Jesus? Here, here's some other things we know about John's baptism. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. From the Gospel of Matthew, we know that what he was saying to people is repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we know that John's baptism is tied to repentance. So I, 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 want to say, I want us to dive into this idea that, that perhaps repentance helps prepare the people of God to see him for who he is. And I want us to think perhaps repentance is something that will help us to see Jesus and the Lord for who he is. Right, we, we talk about repentance a lot here. Repentance is kind of this idea of you're turned one direction and it's towards sin or it's towards yourself or it's even towards good things. But those things are the things you're, to- you're toward and you're chasing after and you're going after. And repentance is simply God saying, hey, turn to me instead. Turn to me instead. And John the Baptist is saying, when you do that, you get forgiveness for all the ways you messed up, all the ways you turned that direction. God forgives you. There is restoration in your relationship with the Lord. And we we talk about that a lot, but I think sometimes because we talk about it in that way, we forget uh, that repentance is is not just a religious act. We turn repentance into this like, oh, this just spiritual, religious thing that we got to do. But repentance is, is a relational act. God, the creator of all, wants a relationship with us, and repentance turns us back towards that relationship. And so when John the Baptist is going around saying, repent, he's inviting them to dive back into the relationship with God that God offers to them. And so I, I was trying to think of an illustration that helps us see repentance as a relational act and not just a religious act. And I was thinking about this. Do you guys remember restaurants? I remember restaurants. Those, I don't know. I can't. I think it was a long, I feel like, I feel right. Sometimes I feel like I'm a character in the book of Eli right now, just wandering the earth and just wishing. I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. But, but, do you remember restaurants and do you remember we used, Do you remember friends, not the TV show, but, but the, the people you would go to restaurants with sometimes, right? Like, and you'd go to these restaurants and you'd have a good time and you, you'd be talking. But here's what would happen when we used to go to restaurants many eons ago. Uh, we would sit with our friend and we always would have either us ourselves do this or our friend does this. And the whole time they're sitting there and they're just on their phone and you're trying to tell them about the rude person at work that's been troubling you, and they're like, yeah, uh uh-huh, okay, yeah, okay, uh uh-huh. And you're like, this is, and the only thing that offends me when I have a friend looking at their phone is like, hey, I think I'm a little bit more interesting than your Aunt Debbie's political views on Facebook. Like, I just think, maybe, maybe I'm not. And so, they're looking at their friend, but every once in a while that friend realizes what they're doing, And they put their phone down, or put it in a bag, or put it away, and they turn and they face you. And they decide, hey, you're more important than my phone. You're more important than my social media. That's repentance. It's turning away from something that you're making a priority that you shouldn't make a priority, and you're turning to what you should make a priority. And so when John the Baptist is out in the desert, and he's saying, repent, Repent, turn away from all this stuff that you've turned inward on yourselves or turned toward sin or turns toward other things. And he's saying, turn to God. And in the midst of that, you get forgiveness and restoration in your relationship with God. That's why the religious leaders, although they didn't like John the Baptist, they, they couldn't really argue with what he was doing. They're like, I, guess, I mean, that's good, I guess, right? We're confused about who you are and why you're doing it this way. Because John was saying, turn away from sin. Turn away from even just your idolatry and turn instead to God. And I just wonder, as we get into the gospel of John, if Jesus would be revealed more clearly to us if we embrace this idea of repentance. Listen, there's there's kind of two categories in here. There are, there are followers of Jesus and there are people that aren't followers of Jesus in here. That's just the reality. For the followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we forget that repentance is a daily part of our walk with God. That we forget until Jesus returns a second time, we turn often towards sin and idols and things we don't need to turn to. And I wonder if John the, John the Baptist invites us to repent. And I wonder if in the midst of our repentance, Jesus will we'll see him more clearly. We'll see him for who he is. The second group in here, you, you would say, hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm thankful that you're here, I'm thankful that you're listening to me say dumb jokes about the avatar and different things like that. But I, I just wanna say, hey, the way I view the world is I think you're going a direction that might be going towards what seem like good things. But God, who created you and loves you, is saying, turn back to me. Those are just gifts. Turn back to me. And I think that repentance helps us to see God, helps prepare the way in the desert to our hearts or to us, from God on the highway coming to us as fast as possible. Just begin to ask ourselves, do do we need to repent? Have we been stuck going the opposite direction of God for too long? Let's keep going. Let's look at the second way John the Baptist prepares us. Verse 29, I'm just going to read one verse here. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I want to just know on the next day here, where he says the next day Jesus shows up, it's just kind of funny that the Pharisees and the lead, Jewish leaders, they were, they were like a day early, right? Now, we know that John the Baptist and Jesus probably knew each other because they related, so I just wonder if John went home that night and was like, you know what would be funny? <laughs> Is if you showed up tomorrow, Right? Okay, This is just my speculation, but this is the kind of cutting-edge exegesis you're going to get at Redemption Flagstaff. I don't know if he did that, but there's, who knows? So, he's, so Jesus shows up the next day, a day late for the Pharisees, and John, the way he wants to introduce him is he says, Behold the Lamb of God who's here to take away the sins of the world. And we're going to get into John's proclamation here about Jesus and see how that helps prepare the way for Jesus. So what, what is John proclaiming here? Now listen, this lamb imagery was was common in the first century Jewish people. They knew that they sacrificed all sorts of animals, and lambs were one of the animals they would sacrifice to atone for their sins. And so right away, when, they, when, when John the Baptist is saying this about Jesus, they go, okay, a lamb, like we sacrifice lambs. And then not only that, though, he says, who takes away the sin of the world. So now... John the Baptist is adding on to their understanding of the sacrificial system. He's saying, you guys do sacrifices to atone for your sins anytime you sin or every year for all your sins or however you do it. He's saying, this guy's a lamb who can take away all of the sins in all of the world. There's other imagery here that, that the Jewish people in that day, when John said, This is the Lamb of God that would have come to mind because in their Bible, our Old Testament, they have at least three major stories with lambs, probably a few more than that, but three major stories. The first is in Genesis chapter 22. You got Abraham, who who God has set apart to, to become the people of God, essentially, God says to Abraham, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. We don't have time to get into the weirdness of that, so just let's have a meeting later. Email me. But so he says to Abraham, hey, I got, you got to sacrifice your son Isaac. So they, get, they go up onto this mountain, and Abraham, and Isaac kind of looks around. And he goes, Dad, where's, where's the lamb? Where is the lamb, Dad, right? Like, I'm a little bit confused. And, so, and Abraham is a little shady, and he, and he says, uh, so God's going to provide. The lamb and Isaac's like, Oh, I bet he will, I bet he will, dad. Okay, and so, so as uh, Abraham's getting ready to sacrifice his son, God stops him, and there in the bushes, in the thicket, I think those are bushes, in the thicket is a ram which is an an, an adult lamb for those of you like, oh, the Bible's wrong. Like, no, it's just an adult lamb there in the bushes and they sacrificed that instead. That's the first image that would come to their mind. Okay, a lamb that was provided in place of an only son. Okay, the next picture that they would have remembered is in, in the Exodus story. In the Exodus story, God is sending plague after plague in order to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And none of it is convincing Pharaoh to let the people of God go. And so God says, okay, I'm going to send this last plague. It's going to take the firstborn of all all the Egyptians, except for anybody who takes a lamb, sacrifices it, and spreads the blood along its doorpost." And so when the Israelites heard this term lamb, they're thinking, okay, a lamb, the lamb of the Exodus, whose blood was spread over our doorposts to rescue us and free us from oppression and slavery. There's one more image that I think would have come to their mind. They had two prophets. Uh, they have more than that, but they had two prophets in particular that used this lamb imagery it's Jeremiah and it's Isaiah. And Jeremiah and Isaiah, they talked about this Messiah type, this Christ, this anointed, this chosen one. And they said, he's going to come like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. And he'll gently go to the slaughter willingly. So... If you were a Jewish person and you hear John the Baptist say, here is the lamb of the world, this is some of the imagery that would come to mind, the sacrificial system, the the lamb that was provided in place of Isaac, the lamb whose blood was used to rescue and free Israel, and then the Messiah who's going to come gently like a lamb led to slaughter. Now this would be reorienting and again, flipping their understandings of who the Christ should be a lot of them were expecting one of two things. Either a revolutionary like Messiah who would come with a sword and kick Rome out of Israel, or a spiritual priest like Messiah who would kind of have this spiritual renewal that is kind of forced on all people or all people except. And instead of John saying, here is the revolutionary, John says, here is the Lamb of God. How does this prepare us to see Jesus? How does this prepare us for Jesus to be revealed to us? Because it gets us to start thinking, okay, is Jesus the lamb that's provided for a sacrifice? It gets us to start thinking, is there a sacrifice I need to make that I can't make on my own? It, helps, it makes us begin to think, is, is Jesus' blood going to be used to free and rescue me from oppression? And so it begins to make us go, am I oppressed and I don't even know it? It begins to make us go, okay, instead of Jesus being this revolutionary, who's going to come kick out everybody. Does he maybe come like a gentle lamb willing to be sacrificed on my behalf? That prepares us. That prepares us to see Jesus for who he is. Here, here's the thing. A lot of us come to church, or a lot of us come here today, and we have a vision for, for what we expect out of Jesus. Jesus. And what we want him to do in this world. And I don't want to say all of that's wrong. I think Jesus does a lot of things. Jesus uh, really is a lot of things and does a lot of things. And there's a lot of ways restoration comes about. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to root out all the sin in the world, which is our true oppressor, and save us. But I think sometimes what we want from Jesus is just like in these revolutionary type terms. We're like, we just... I just want the Jesus who brings good morality to this world. I want the Jesus who brings the right sort of governments to this world. I want the sort of Jesus that brings the right sort of spirituality to this world. That's the the Jesus I want. And so John, when he says 2,000 years ago, behold the Lamb of God, it even flips our categories. Jesus is more than the Lamb of God, certainly as we'll see over even in this text and next week. But I wonder if some of us have forgotten that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the provided sacrifices. sacrifice. Jesus is the, is the one who will give the blood for, to rescue and free us. Jesus is the one who goes gently to his death to save us. This is Jesus' way. This is who our Lord is. This helps us to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is a lamb-like king who's willing to die in order to save his people. This is who God is, and this is who we should expect to see. And I think too often we get too stuck on uh, a certain component of Jesus, and we forget he is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let that prepare our hearts to see Jesus be revealed. Let's hop into the last four verses here, verse 30 through 34, and we're gonna see some of John the Baptist's wonder and awe that he has for Jesus, and we're gonna see how that prepares us to see Jesus as well. Verse 30, he's mid-sentence. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist goes, listen, this is... This is the guy who outranks me because he existed before me. Now remember, whatever spiritual gurus you know of, could you imagine a spiritual guru saying that? They often don't say that. Spiritual gurus usually say, I have figured it out. But John the Baptist goes, I haven't figured it out. This guy who existed before me is now in our midst, and we need to worship him. And then he says, he says two times, I think, in there, he goes, I didn't know him. I didn't know him which is confusing because just earlier in the sermon, I said they knew each other because they were relatives. And we know from Luke's gospel that they met in the womb, that John the Baptist leapt in the womb by the power of the Holy Spirit when, I don't know, Mary and Elizabeth bumped their bellies together or something. I don't know what happened, okay? And so we, they probably John the Baptist probably grew up knowing Jesus. So what is he saying here when he's saying, I don't know Jesus, I didn't quite know him like I thought I would. And could you imagine all the people who had like, waited with bated breath for, for the next move of God as they listened to John the Baptist preach in the desert, and then John the Baptist says, this is him, and I don't even know him that well. I didn't even quite know him like I should. They would go, John, you're the guy. If anyone should know him, you should know him. This is how his wonder and his awe prepares our hearts. It begins to have us ask the question, do I really know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? Because even John the Baptist needed the spirit to reveal Jesus to him in deeper and more meaningful ways. I don't think John the Baptist was saying, Oh, I didn't like our parents kept us apart from that time. And I never, I didn't really know him. I think John the Baptist was saying, I thought Jesus was just this thing, the Lamb of God. But the Spirit showed me not only is he the Lamb of God, but he's the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, and he's the one who is the very Son of God. Here's what Jesus is going to do for, to, to, to us in this gospel, if we have ears to hear, he's going to flip your categories for who God is and what God is about. We come to the table with so many different categories, so many different spiritualities, and we're convinced we know who God is. But the thing about Jesus is he's going to come and the spirit is going to reveal to him in ways that we never thought could be possible. The Spirit is going to show us that Jesus is often some, somebody we don't expect him to be. And so how does John's wonder and awe here prepares us? It helps us as we get into the rest of this book, this gospel, to not feel like we've just got it all figured out. Like we just know it, there's nothing else to be revealed about Jesus. No, John the Baptist needed the Holy Spirit to reveal more of Jesus to him, and so do we. Even if we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, because Jesus has brought that baptism out for all believers already. The Spirit can reveal to us more and more of Jesus. I, there, uh, there's a gentleman in our church named Jeff Ellis. I love Jeff Ellis. He's a great guy. I, he's 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 an older guy. I don't think he minds me saying that. He's retired. And a few weeks ago, he came up to me at the Connect desk. And he said, hey, uh, so J- Jeff, he lives up here part-time. He lives in Phoenix part-time. And his church in Phoenix, they just finished up the Gospel of John. And he says, hey, my church in Phoenix, we just finished the Gospel of John. And, and, and I was like, oh. he's like, so that's crazy that you guys are about to start it. And I was like, man, you're going to get a lot of the Gospel of John. I'm sorry. And he goes, no, no. I, uh, there's always more. <laughs> like, There's always more to know about Jesus. Something to that effect, he said to me. This is an older gentleman, mature in the faith, who just heard a whole sermon series that was long on the Gospel of John. And then, up here at his, at his chur- church that he comes to about half the year, is also going starting through Gospel of John. He goes, No, there's more. There's more of Jesus for me to know. If that's true for Jeff, if that's true for John the Baptist, it's true for us. So let us not come to God's word pridefully over the coming months. Oh, I've read the gospel of John. It's my favorite gospel. I know everything about John. Realize that the spirit is going to use God's word to reveal more of Jesus to us. We we like to land our sermons with a gospel connection, like a connection to the good news of Jesus And as I I was like, how do I connect? I just feel like everything I just said was the good news. This story is the proclamation of the good news, the kingdom being at hand, the idea that Jesus, Lord of all, has come to earth in the flesh. And he's he's walked in our midst. King Jesus is here to bring about his kingdom and he wants to restore relationship with, with humanity and God and all we simply have to do is turn away from our sin and turn to him and he will be the lamb of God he will be the sacrifice his blood will shed to rescue and to free us and not only that is he came back to life resurrected to defeat death in order to offer us everlasting life with him that's the gospel that's the good news this is real is the good news Jesus is here. Jesus is here in his spirit, but Jesus came to earth, the Lord of all. The highway was made in the desert to reach God's people. And we get to know that from his word. And so as we go away from here today, begin to ask yourself, could repentance help me see Jesus better or with clearer eyes? Listen, even when we're bad at repentance, God reveals himself to us regardless of what we do. But begin to ask that question. Do I need to turn away? Turn away from these things and turn towards a relationship with him? Begin to ask yourself if you need to start seeing Jesus as the Lamb of God. Because I I think this idea of Jesus, Lamb of God, is increasingly unpopular in our culture. There was someone who had to die for my sins. Nuh-uh, I'm good enough. If Jesus is the Lamb of God, that's not true. Only he is good enough. And then let's look to John the Baptist's wonder and awe and realize that even the Spirit had to reveal things to John the Baptist about Jesus. That certainly must be true for us as well. And we should be open to that and willing to. For that to happen and even ask the Spirit to reveal more of Jesus to us. Amen, church. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lamb of God. Thank you for even using and sending John the Baptist in a sense, but using John the Baptist in a sense to cry out in the wilderness and to prepare the way of the Lord. God, living on the other side of the cross now, I just hope we can gain whatever wisdom from your word and about what John the Baptist's work was in order to prepare our hearts for the restored relationship you want with us. God, I pray right now, I wonder if there's people here who are like, man, I feel like Jesus has never been revealed to me. I feel like the Lamb of God has never been revealed to me. I pray, God, that you would begin that process or fully do that process right now or prepare their hearts to go under that process of, of you being revealed to them over the coming weeks and months as we're in the Gospel of John. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to repent and turn to you. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to see that you're the Lamb of God, that we need the sacrifice only you can make and have made already for us. Renew our wonder and awe of you, Jesus. Spirit, please move in our hearts. I'm thankful that you already have in so many ways, but continue to move in our hearts. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.